Good morning, everybody. Everybody good? It's a beautiful Sunday morning. We're glad that you're here. Open your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. If you're joining us by Facebook, uh, YouTube, any kind of audio, video podcast, open your Bibles to the Judges chapter 4. Let's look at the Word of God together. Uh, in the middle now of a new message series entitled The Wild West of the Bible, we're talking about the book of Judges. We're walking through it. Uh, not going to be able to go verse by verse or even chapter by chapter, but we're going to hit some of the the big stories and, and get the big messages from the book of Judges, so uh, turn with me. In the last couple of months, um, I've had several conversations with first-time guests, people who had come to our church for one reason or another. Uh, interestingly, uh, I talked to one person who was never coming back. They came one time, and a person said they weren't coming back because Woodburn Baptist Church was a church where the women were way too visible. <laughs> Find me a church with invisible women, that, 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 that would be interesting. Um, no, they said that there was a woman at every door. Okay, well, there probably wasn't, but it felt that way to this person. And for that reason, Woodburn was not a church to return to. The women were too visible. Um, and the same amount of time I talked to another, again, uh, outsider, first-time guest, who uh, came to Woodburn, wasn't coming back because it seemed like we were uh, keeping women in their place. Women had no voice, no role. They weren't uh, recognized. So, uh, again... Uh, that kind of tension is hard sometimes because there's people on different extremes who, who sort of want to pull us in, in all kinds of directions. Um, but if I find that difficult, I, I can't imagine what that's like for our women and our girls in our church. Uh, you must live with that tension all the time. Uh, the idea that on the one hand, we're always asking for your help. You can't do enough behind the scenes. Uh, but as soon as you become seen or heard, at that point, somebody's going to tell you to get back in your place. Um, maybe it was more that way for an older generation. Maybe it's less that way for our girls. I'm, I'm hoping it's less that way for our girls. But, but nonetheless, you, I think you live with that tension. As a pastor, as, as your pastor, uh, I think y'all know me well enough. I, I just, I'm not pulled into those arguments and those issues because it's never about issues for me. I, I'm just your pastor. And so... It, it, it's not about women and, and, and the place. It's, it's about our mothers, our, our daughters, our sisters. It's, it's our church family, you know. Um, I remember one day years ago, uh, I called on a woman to lead us in prayer at church. And uh, a visiting pastor, when it was over, called me to the side and said, you called on a woman to pray in church. And... Uh, on the one hand, I, I didn't feel the need to defend that because I, I hadn't really thought of having done anything controversial. It was Evelyn. I, I called on a woman named Evelyn. She was a mother of our church. She, when she prayed, she called heaven down. And I can't imagine anybody who would want to forbid that. You, you know, it, it wasn't about trying to make a social statement it, it was just about letting one of the mothers of our church bless us you, you know and, and and i struggled with that because for me it, it's just it's personal because we're people i don't this morning just thinking about the daughters of our church it's it's not about young women it's, it's about faith and grace and juliana and macy and all of the girls of our church uh, elena grace who we dedicated as an infant in the last service um i, I am the pastor for girls and for boys, but um, I just take that responsibility really seriously. And, and so we come to Judges chapter 4 today, and if we want to talk about 
the difficulty of women finding their place and people who want to take in their place. I just want to suggest we bring that question to, to the Scriptures. If you want to find the place, in, in whoever you are, if you want to find your place, you find your place in God's Word. Let's just start there. Uh, and then from there, I would go to this. I would just simply say this. And in my mind, this is absolutely uncontroversial. How, how could you argue with this? I would just say, you can't stop women from doing anything God's already let them do in the Bible. I mean, I want to go, duh. <laughs> duh. You, you can't stop women from doing anything that God's already let them do in the Bible. So you say, well, what does God let them do in the Bible? And I say, well, read your Bible. Um, and especially for women today, girls in the congregation, I, I hope this message speaks specifically to you. Um, if you're wondering what God could call you to do, let me just say God could call you to do anything he's already called women before you to do. And if you want to know a little more about that, let's just look at one woman in particular. Look at Deborah in the book of Judges. Uh, she's an amazing woman of God, and uh, her story is here uh, in chapter 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter. It, it's a little long, so be patient and, and read with me. Uh, it gets crazy, y'all. Again, it's, it's Judges, so you, you know by now you know, to expect crazy. Uh, at the end of this chapter, a man's going to get his head nailed to the floor, um, which is awesome. Uh, so let's read that together. Judges chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, after Ahud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. Remember I said last week there's a cycle in the book of Judges, probably a cycle in our own lives, but there's a cycle where the people, uh, they forget God, they turn their backs against God, then they begin to suffer consequences. Um, inevitably, the, the nation falls. They may spend 10, 20 years in misery until finally they turn back to God, they call out to God, and then God raises up a rescuer, a judge who will deliver them, bring them back to the Lord, and then they forget again, you know, and the cycle just repeats. So the cycle's repeating. We're picking up exactly where we left off last week with the death of Ahud. So here we go. After Ahud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Sisera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. What took them so long? Verse 4. Deborah, the wife of Lepidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites would go to her for judgment. One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun and Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Barat told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went up with him. Now, Haber the Kenite, a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Hobab, had moved away from the other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the oak of Zananamim near Kadesh. When Cicero was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, 
He called for all of his 900 chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Hiroshima to Goyim to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day of the Lord, the day he will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all of his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Hiroshith Hagoyim, killing all of Sisera's warriors. Not a single one was left alive. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber the Kenite, because Haber's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin of Hazor. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come into my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent. She covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, he told her. And if anybody comes and asks if anybody is here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and tent peg in her hand. Then she drove... Then she, dro she drove the tent peg through his temple and into the ground, and he died. Those three words, and he died, just are the funniest and horrible. I mean, you know, just that, and he, I mean, yeah, of course he, he died uh, with his head. That's a horrible way to go, y'all. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went out to meet him. She said, come, and I will show you the man you're looking for. So he followed her into the tent. And found Sisera lying there dead with the tent peg through his temple. So on that day, Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. Now I'm gonna, not going to read it, but look at the next chapter. Chapter 5 is called The Song of Deborah. The whole story is retold, and this time in poetic form. It's just amazing, and it's possibly one of the oldest uh, sources, one of the oldest documents you'll find in the scriptures, that song of Deborah is there. Same story, poetic form. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about Deborah. Let's talk about her. I, I, don't, I don't know what your response is when you're reading through the book of Judges. We passed Othniel and we passed Ahud, uh, there's Shamgar, these three, first three judges in a row. And then in chapter 4, we just come to Deborah. The other judges, we got a little bit of uh, preparation, a little bit of backstory about how God would raise them up. But for Deborah, you just sort of, you know, turn the corner and she's there. I think some people are surprised that there's a woman rescuer, a, a, a woman judge. But, but let me just sort of say something that should be pretty obvious to you by now. In the Bible and in life, it's not mostly women who need rescue, and it's not mostly men who do the rescuing. Are you new around here? I mean, are you paying attention to how everything works? It's not mostly women who are the damsels in distress who always need a, a rescuer, and it's not mostly men who do the rescuing. It's Mother's Day. We're, we're honoring powerful women today. So just understand there's nothing about this that should surprise us. God raises up a woman, and she is a magnificent woman. Now, verse 4, she's introduced to us very simply. Deborah, the wife of Lapida, who was a prophet, 
who was judging Israel at the time. So several things about Deborah there. She's wife of Lapida. She is a prophet, and she's judging Israel at, at the time. It's really amazing. Uh, if you read the description of Deborah here, it's very much like the way Moses is described previously in, in the scripture. So I think it's very fair to say that Deborah in her time is what Moses was in his time in the life of the people of God. And I know that sounds like a lot, but I'm telling you, she was a prophet. She was the leader of God's people. She was in her day what Moses was in his day. And you're thinking, well, you know, Pastor Tim, would God really call a woman to, to do all those things? Well, he already did. I mean, don't you want me to read that chapter again? I mean, he, he, he did. He, he already did. God called Deborah, and she is absolutely magnificent. Deborah, the wife of Lapida. So we're told that she's the wife. She's got a husband, maybe, maybe. The name Lapida doesn't appear anywhere else in all of Scripture, and we're not even sure it's a name. Because Lapid, the Hebrew word there, um, it, it means lightning or like a burning torch. It's got to do with fire. So since it's not a very common name and it really only appears here in Scripture, it's possible that we're not really being told the name of her husband at all. It could just be saying Deborah is a lightning woman, you know what I mean? Or a fiery woman. And it's very likely that that's the case. That, that if it's not saying she's a wife of this man whose name means lightning, maybe she is somehow simply being, uh, we're told she's just this fiery woman. Now, I don't know. I don't know if there's enough information in this skinny little verse to solve that question for us. But as far as I'm concerned, I like it both ways. I, I like knowing that she's the wife of a man named Lapida. I also like thinking she's the lightning woman. I also like the idea of being the man married to the lightning woman. Because I think that sounds really, really cool. You guys, you know what I'm talking about? To be married to this magnificent woman, I think that is incredible. We don't hear anything else about him. So if indeed she is married and this is the name of her husband, then all we know for sure is apparently Deborah works outside the house and Lapidoth, like he stays home with the kids and sells essential oils. Now apparently that's how this marriage works. If, if that's the marriage, he's never mentioned again. So one way or the other, if Lapidoth is her husband, then the rest of the story really doesn't have anything to do with that, which is to say her marital status, her, her relationship as a wife to Lapidoth, that's not the most important thing to say about Deborah. Now, I know some of you, you don't like hearing me say those words. First off, it's Mother's Day, and you brought your mama to church, and now Pastor Tim's going to, you know, cloud up and rain on Mother's Day, but... But l let me just say something that should be obvious to us as believers. If you're not a believer, I understand how you could object to this. But if you know Jesus, then you have to say amen to what I'm telling you. The highest calling isn't to be a wife or mother, but to follow Christ. The highest calling is the calling to follow Christ. It is a beautiful thing to be a wife. It is a beautiful thing to be a mother but that is not what defines your life. Your life is hidden with Christ. You understand? Your life belongs to Christ. The most important thing to be said about any woman or any man for that fact is their relationship to Christ. 
Christ is your higher calling to follow him, to run toward him, to, to give your life to him. It is amazing to be a wife or a mother, but I'm telling you, in Deborah's case, that, that's the least important thing to know. It's just the least important thing to know. Again, I, I'm not saying that it's not a beautiful thing to be a wife or a mother. It is, but, but, but honestly, it, it's just really not the most important thing. I said, Pastor Tim, I don't like any of this. Well, then you're going to have to take it up with the Bible because it's not just in the book of Judges. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where Paul is talking about marriage, remember Paul speaks specifically to young women at one point and says, I think it would be better if they just all stayed single. So obviously the apostle Paul thinks that honestly the best thing is if you just love Jesus with your whole life and then can just serve him full time. That would be great, Paul says. And he says, now, I know some of you people are going to have to get married, and it's okay if you do. I mean, that's how Paul talks. It's okay if you got to, but if you can avoid it, you know, it would be better to stay single. So the Bible doesn't share our, you know, romantic idealization of home and family. Instead, the Bible just always tries to fix your eyes on Jesus. So, understand, the highest calling for Deborah, the highest calling for you isn't to be a wife or mother, it is to follow Christ. So the most important thing to be said about Deborah has nothing to do with Lepidoth, it has everything to do with the way God uses this woman, alright? So, it says that she is a prophet, your translation may say prophetess, prophetess, it doesn't matter, she's a prophet, you all. She does what all the prophets do. She's not like, you know, a pretty little prophet or, you know, some kind of junior prophet. She's a prophet. She speaks for God like all the prophets do. And if you read through this chapter, she speaks for God several times. Go through and just underline Deborah's prophecies. She's amazing. She's awesome. And so she steps up one day in verse 6 and she calls for Barak. He is obviously some sort of military general in the land of Israel. She calls him up and she says, this is what God is commanding you to do. And she gives him the orders. It's, it's pretty fantastic. Call out 10,000 warriors, the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun, bringing them out Tabor. Uh, God says, I'll call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, bring them all down to the Kishon River. All right? So Deborah knows exactly what God is saying. She knows exactly who God wants that message delivered to. And Deborah steps up. That's what you call a prophet. And she's a good one. Deborah's the prophet in the land of Israel. I love it. So what happens next? She says, I will give you victory. The Lord says, I will give you victory over him. Verse 8, Barak tells Deborah, I will go, but only if you go with me. Now, if you've ever heard this passage preached by most, most pastors, they take that verse and then they run with it. Barak says, I will go, but only if you go with me. And then the preachers will start saying, yeah, you know, there's Barak. You know, he's afraid to go into battle without his mama. She's not his mama, but y'all get what I'm saying, right? Like, Barak, he's going to hide behind her skirt. You know, he's just, um, in other words, they take this verse and they make it sound like, you know, Barak is some kind of sissy. Because he, he needs a woman to go to battle. In other words, if a man is standing next to a strong woman, that makes that man weak, you know? And that's literally the way this passage is often preached. It's a way of sort of dismissing Deborah and her role here in the salvation history of God's people. Because it's a way of saying, you know, God used a woman, but it's only because he didn't have any real men. 
you've heard this preached that way, I would say. There weren't any, it's, it's the book of Judges, everything's upside down, it's the Wild West, and, and men like Barak, they're, they're just too weak and sissified to go into battle, and so God had to use a woman. Again, the implication is that Deborah would have been, you know, at least God's second choice. He would have rather used any good man as opposed to anyone, you know, you know what I mean? It's, it's that message that we consistently communicate to our girls. That, that any man would have been a better choice, as if Deborah was God, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel. Now, if that's the way you like to read this passage, I just suggest to you, I think you're reading it wrong. Because that's not the way the Bible describes this. God does not describe Deborah at all as somehow God scraping the bottom of the barrel. And it nowhere in this passage suggests that Barak is not an awesome and strong man on his own. There's no suggestion of that. In chapter 5, you've got that amazing song that Deborah and Barak sing together, right? And it praises both of them. They are both strong people, and it doesn't make a man weaker to be in the presence of a woman who is strong. Can I just say that? Does that not just make obvious sense? But that is not, that is not often the way people think. That, that, that's not the way a lot of our... It's not the way some of our women, women think. It's not the way some of our daughters think. I mean, I, I think it's changing some in our culture, but I still think it's, it's much the same. If, if, if you're a girl growing up in our culture, there is just this message that somehow you're supposed to disappear behind a man. Find you a good man, and then you disappear behind him because that's what God wants from you. And I challenge you to find that in Scripture. Not supposed to disappear. God made you to shine. But for whatever reason, the culture refuses to, to, to let women take that place. And so you just sort of learned that, that you have to quiet yourself. If you grow up in a family with brothers, often the whole family's all about the brothers. And everything's sort of about the brothers. And you just sort of learned early on that nobody's as interested in you as they are the brothers, you know. People don't want to hear a woman talk. They'd rather hear a man talk. People don't want to see girls play sports. They want to see men play sports. I mean, that's just the world in which we live, and you get used to that. You, you quiet yourself. You don't want to call attention to your talents or your abilities because people don't want a woman who's pushy. People don't want a woman who's grasping for things, you know. And then if you ever do, you, you, ever, you ever find a guy that you think you want to date or a guy that you want to be with, there's just this, this instinct that you've developed where it, you somehow think that you're not supposed to intimidate him. You don't want to scare him off, you know, by being strong. And so, therefore, you just, you learn how to somehow dim your light, you know, so that you don't outshine the boys. Now, I just want to call your attention to Judges chapter 4 and, and help you to see that that is not what Deborah does. She is a woman of God. She's standing in the strength and calling that God gives her. And she really doesn't ever sort of have to in any way disappear behind any of the men in this story. And that's the way God has inspired his word to be written to us. Do you see that? Now, I think what that says to us is just, I, I, I would want to say this to any of the single women or any of you who are dating or, or all of our girls growing up. I, I just want to say this to you about the kind of man you're looking for. All right. I just would say this. And I raised one son. I 
prayed that we raised a good one. I never got to raise daughters, but I know that I'm the pastor of your daughters, and I want to say this to them. You beware the man who is only willing to be with a woman who is weaker than he is. You look out for him, that that is not a healthy man. That is not the man you want to be with. You, you beware. There's danger in, in being in a relationship with a man who is only willing to be with a woman who is weaker than he is. And some of you have lived this nightmare. You know what it is to be with a man who is fragile. He's got this male ego, but it's fragile. So he constantly needs this cheerleader. He needs somebody around him to admire him. He needs somebody around him that'll be small so he can make himself feel tall. You understand? And I'm telling you, this is not the man that you want to be with. This is not a healthy man. Don't. Don't. Just understand. You run from this guy. I'm aware. I mean, I understand the way my wife encourages me and the way my wife admires me. I, I, I love my wife so much. She is 20,000 times smarter than I am, and she thinks I'm too dumb to notice. You know, I mean, she's just this amazing woman, and, and, and I'm blessed to be with her. And I'm telling you, I can take, I can take everything that the world dishes out because I know I go home every single night to a woman who believes in me and loves me and encourages me. But understand something. My worth, my strength, my confidence comes from Christ. It's not from her. Understand? It is Christ who tells me who I am as a man. It is Christ who has shown his purpose for my life. It's Christ who empowers me. I don't have to go home and make her small so I can make myself feel big. I don't have to go home and make her weak so that I can feel strong. And and if you're in a relationship with a man like that, you need to stop trying to fill him up because you can't fill him up. If he is empty, only Christ can fill him up. You are in a lose-lose situation with a man, or I would say with a woman. I mean, same thing with a woman. I mean, if you're a young woman and you're out there and you're still thinking there's going to be some man who's going to complete you, oh my goodness, honey, you are in for the worst kind of heartbreak. There is no man who can fill you when you are empty. Christ is the one who fills you. Christ is the one who tells you who you are as a girl. It is Christ who gives you the love and the acceptance that you crave. It is Christ who whispers in your ear and tells you what you mean to him. Do you understand? It's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. I'm telling you, young woman, you step out into the world and you haven't had your life filled yet with Christ then you just step out into the world, an empty woman, and I've said it a thousand times, and I'll keep saying it, the only kind of man that an empty woman attracts is an empty man. Empty women attract empty men, and you get two empty people together, and it is miserable. Some of you have lived it. It's terrible. This is what I'm telling you. You seek Christ. You run after Christ. Don't run after a man. Don't run after a boy. You don't have to have a boy, but you have to have Christ. You go after Christ, and you look out for the man who's only willing to be with a woman who's weaker than he is. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. you got to stop thinking that you must dim your light so that some guy seems to shine brighter. Don't you do that. I'm talking to the daughters of this church. It is God who put that shine in you. It's God who put that shine in you. And don't you make any, any man make you feel like that you've got to somehow dim that so that he can feel better about himself. Don't you do that. God has put that in you. God put that light in you, and he wants you to shine. Tell your daughters that. And if you've got sons, you tell them not to do women that way. Don't you do women that way. If you're not strong enough to stand on your own, don't you dare stand on the back of some woman to make yourself feel taller. 
girl, stop thinking that you must dim your light so that some guy sees your shine brighter. Look at Deborah. And she steps out. She speaks God's word. She doesn't have to ask for anybody's permission because God put the word in her and God wants the word delivered. She's the only one who hears God's voice like this. And she just steps out and speaks. She raises her voice and she doesn't have to apologize for being seen and heard because she's just doing what God called her to do. I love it. I just love it. So verse, uh, verse 9, Barak says, I'll only go if you go with me. Again, he is showing proper respect to the one who is God's prophet. He'd be a fool if he didn't take her with him. She hears from God. She's got the whole battle plan in her head. God's given it to her. You don't want to leave town without her, you know. So he's, she says, very well. Deborah says, very well. I'll go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture because uh, God's going to hand the victory to a woman. It's going to come from the hands of a woman. Now, again, when I hear preachers preach this, I always say it like, you know, there's going to be no honor in this for you because God's going to give the victory to a woman. Ooh, you know, it's like, ooh, take that, Barack. Ooh, you're not going to get any credit because a woman, you know, who, who, who runs the world, girls do. I mean, you know, it's like a woman. Ooh, you know, what are you talking about? It's just Deborah prophesying again. She knows how this thing's going to turn out because God speaks to her. And she's not saying there's not going to be any honor in this for you because you're some sort of weak, sissy man. No, she's just saying, you know, there's not going to be any parade for you at the end of this. But because honestly, it's not really going to be about who gets the credit at all. Now, a lot of women, I don't have to tell you this, because most of what women do in our church, in the world, is often behind the scenes and, and it, you don't get a lot of credit. You get Mother's Day, we got you a muffin. You know, like, you gave birth to us, here's a muffin. <laughs> Don't eat it all here. Yeah, I mean, you know, make it last, because Mother's Day, another year, you know. Y'all, a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching about how the church is one generation away from extinction. Remember that? I was talking about the importance of the, the older generation reaching back to the younger generation and being influential. And we talked about that all morning. How, what's that look like? How does the older generation you know, be influential in the lives of the rising generation. How we pass the faith along, all that. We talked all about that, y'all remember? Talked about it in small groups. My group is, is predominantly older folks. We talked about another hour in this room on Sunday night. How do we be influential? How do we reach back and, 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 and influence the lives of the children? How we pass the faith along? And my wife didn't say a word that a whole Sunday. But I heard it when I got home that night. She said, I could have made this whole day a lot easier for you. If people really want to be influential in the children of the church, my wife, she said, and this is true, I had 17 kindergartners in my Sunday school class at 930. Any one of them could have come back there and helped me. You understand? It's that. It's just that. It's the idea that, you know, if we need more volunteers for children, we're pretty much going to depend upon the women, you know, and at the very same time, that work is sort of, you know, demeaned. It, it, it's not important. N nobody's, you know, really necessarily throwing a parade for the person who's down the hall changing the diapers of our babies right now, you know. And so when 
Deborah speaks to Barak here, it's not some way of saying, you know, you're about to be embarrassed because there ain't going to be any, won't be any trophy for you today. It's going to be about a woman. No, 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 no. Deborah's just actually revealing just amazing principles of leadership here and wisdom. And the fact remains that God can do a whole lot with people who aren't concerned about who's going to get the credit. I mean, you read this verse and you think Deborah's talking about herself, but she's not. Deborah's not going to get credit for it. As it turns out, the person who's going to be the, the champion of this war, this battle today, like, we don't even know her name yet. Unless you've read to the end of the story, you got no idea what's going to happen at the end. It's Jael. That's her name. She's a stay-at-home mom, y'all. Like she had just got done swiffering the floor and she was watching the view and then all of a sudden Sisera shows up at her door. She wasn't planning on being in the battle at all. But all of a sudden she's drawn into it and God uses her. God just draws her in and it's actually pretty fantastic. I mean, if you think fantastic is nailing the dude's head to the floor, you know, but, but that's what she does, which is kind of, I mean, I can't say it's kind of awesome. It's horrible awesome. Um, <laughs> I love it because um, she's a woman, right? And in her day, it was the woman's job to set up and take down the tent. And so a tent peg and a hammer, like that's the kind of stuff she's got in her, you know that utensil jug you got by your stove with wooden spoons and whisk and like spatulas? Well, JL had all that. She had spatulas and wooden spoons and a whisk, and then she had tent pegs and a hammer because she used these things every day. That's what the women did. And so she just reaches for whatever she's got in her kitchen to put this dude away. This is the last surviving you know, member of the enemy army. And it's Sisera the commander. It's J.L. Nails his head to the floor. I know. But now notice before she does that, she gives him warm milk and a blanket. So she's not a monster. <laughs> She does. Come on in. Come on in. Can I get you something to drink? Here, lay down. Can I? You need a blanket. Can I cover you with a blanket? You know, <laughs> She's not a monster. She gave him milk. You know. Oh my. But but just the way it comes together, it's, it's just so beautiful. And that's what I'm saying. Deborah's awesome. Deborah's this magnificent woman of God who stands in the strength and wisdom of her calling. She apologizes to nobody. She just simply follows God. And she does her part, but she doesn't do it all. I mean, she doesn't lead the army because God's got Barak for that, and he's awesome. Don't make him some sort of weak man. This man leads 10,000 troops into battle and comes out the victor. I mean, Barak is awesome. Nothing in the scripture implies that he is anything less than a magnificent man of God. But he doesn't do it all. He, he can't do it all. It, it, it turns out J.L.'s got the final part to play in the whole thing. And J.L. just does what she can do inside her house. But man, she does it. And at the end of the day, it, it's hard to say who, who mattered the most. And if, if you think that the only jobs you're going to take are the ones where you're going to get applause at the end, you're not ever going to do much for God. If, if you think that you've got to shine brighter, stand taller... God can't use you. Not like that. Deborah says, I'll go with you, but I'm telling you, there's not going to be a lot of honor in, in, in this for you. As it turns out, the whole thing's going to be, you know, God's going to use a woman. 
JL, she's amazing. Um, there's just some brilliant leadership. For those of you who are in management, there's some amazing leadership lessons here. But, but let me stay with this, the, the theological lessons for us right here. Um, since God makes all things work together and it's his power at work in all of us, nobody can say that one job or calling is more necessary than another. You with me? I think this is another trap often that our, our sisters, women believers, fall into. You begin thinking, well, my goodness, I, I'm, just a, man, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. You know, I have conversations with toddlers, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, I feel brain cells dying, you, you know. And then you see other women out there, you know, wearing, you know, you know like clothes that, you know, don't have somebody else's poop on them and, you just see them looking nice in these power suits, and they got careers and like LinkedIn profiles, and you just look across at other people and you think, "Man, I, I feel so unnecessary. I feel like my calling is so much lower." And I'm saying, "Stop playing that game, because that's not how any of this works. It's God who makes everything work together. It's God's power at work in all of us, and for that reason." Nobody gets to say whose job is more necessary or what job is, is actually higher, more prestigious. I don't for a minute think that my job standing here preaching right now is more important than whoever it is down the hallway changing your baby's diaper. I don't think I'm more important. The, the baby right now whose diaper is getting changed could be the future pastor of this church. I, I pray that it is. You know, the baby getting the diaper changed could be you know, future governor of Kentucky, future president of the United States. I have no idea what God's going to do with that child. But I don't for a moment think that my role matters more. That's not how any of this works. And, and this is what Deborah is trying to communicate here. We, we don't do this for honor. You don't do it to see who gets the credit. And so whoever you are, man, woman, boy, or girl, I'm just telling you, you just, have to, you just have to find your true purpose by surrendering to Christ. You find your purpose, and it doesn't matter what other people do or how much recognition you get or who appreciates what you do, because I'm telling you, your purpose is found by surrendering to Christ. They say a woman's work is never done. I can't comment on that. I have no idea what to say about that. But I'll tell you one thing, God's work is not done. God's work is never done. There's so much of God's work to do in the world, and God's calling all of us to be a part of his work in the world, period. Man, woman, it doesn't matter. You have something to do, a role to play in what God wants to do in the world, and you've got to step into that. You don't have to wait for somebody to say you can. If God's calling you, you step into it. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I'm just telling you, God's work is, is always there to be done. And it always has to do with somehow, you know, mending the brokenhearted. It always has something to do with finding whatever it is that is broken, that is messed and, and, and ruined, and somehow cleaning up that mess, somehow redeeming what has been thrown away, somehow reclaiming what others have discarded. God's work always has to do with somehow making new what's become old or broken or, or otherwise otherwise ruined. Do you understand how God just continues to want to uh, mend the broken hearts and, and defend the, the vulnerable and, and the weak and to continue to sing over all of the depressed and, and anxious people in the world? I mean, God's work never, ever runs out. And whatever part of that he calls you to play, you step into that. Because whatever you're doing, if it's God's work, it's worthy. It's worthy. You don't need anybody else to, to say, good job, girl. I'm just telling you, if you're doing it for God, if you find your purpose in him, it's worthy. Do it to his glory. 
I've used the word surrender here. I, I'm, I'm wrapping up you all. Find your true purpose by surrendering to Christ. There are two words I could have used. I could have said committing to Christ or surrendering to Christ. They're not the same thing. They're both important. You need to commit to Christ. But, but I'm using the word surrender on purpose. Um, if I say find your true purpose by committing to Christ, commitment is always about what you're going to do. I'm going to commit myself to, and then you're going to talk about what you're going to do. And, and we need committed people to Christ, make no mistake. We need people who are willing to pay the price, to sacrifice, to follow Jesus. We need people who will commit themselves to Christ. But commitment's always about what you're going to do. Surrender is different. Surrender is not about what I'm going to do. Surrender is always about what God's going to do. And so you find your true purpose, you find your destiny, not by committing yourself, but by surrendering yourself. You surrender yourself to Christ. You have to simply lay it down and agree that you're going to allow him to do whatever he's going to do in your life. You're going to let him do what he's going to do. That's surrender. And that's where a life in Christ begins. You got to stop thinking you're going to be the, the one in charge of this. You got to stop thinking you're going to please anybody else. You have to surrender to Christ. Surrender to Christ above everybody else. Surrender to Christ alone. But you want to find your purpose? You want to know what your place is in this world, in, in your family, in this church? You start right here. You surrender to Christ. We don't get the backstory on Deborah. We don't know where she was when God called her. We don't know how it was she found that palm tree and set up her office under there. We have no idea how this woman became so magnificent, except I can say this for sure. At some point in that girl's life, she surrendered herself to the Lord. And God began to do such things in her that one day she got to the place where God could do amazing things through her. He can't do anything through you until you let him do his work in you. All the girls, all, all the daughters of our church, surrender to Christ. You find your destiny by surrendering to Christ. And if you think for a moment that that just applies to the girls, <laughs> it's everybody. You surrender yourself to Christ, you find your purpose in him. Let's pray together.